Welcome to Last Ones at the Bar, the one-stop shop for all your boxing needs. This week on the docket, we'll discuss the Canelo coronation at 168. We'll also predict a few highly anticipated matchups between Tank Davis and Isak Cruz, Vasil Lomachenko against Richard Comey, Archer Better Bev and Marcus Brown. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, before we get started today, um, we have that huge event that we witnessed on Saturday night. What did you guys think about the overall fight card? Now, the fight card itself uh, was entertaining. There were some entertaining fights on there. Of course, the uh, Anthony Durrell fight was entertaining, and also the, the Elvis Rodriguez fight. Was uh they had some, they had some entertaining endings to them, uh, but at the same time I think because of the last card that we just had uh, a month ago with Tyson Fury and um, Deontay Wilder, that stack card kind of spoiled me. So I was kind of underwhelmed. Where we we read this card and what's on it, you're like, eh. eh. But I kind of see what they were trying to do. I, I, you know, they were trying to position. And I think there was more so uh, PBC trying to position Anthony Durrell to fight the winner of the the Canelo Plant. Uh, the winner of the fight with Anthony Durrell to fight the winner of the uh, the Canelo Plant fight. I see what they were trying to do. I just didn't. I'm not sure if I would have went that route. Yeah, for me, I'm the one that like the host of fight parties, right? And so we got two pay per view fights this month. And so I I was like, do I want to host Canelo? Or do I want to host Crawford and Porter? And so, you know, for me, I, I, I agree with Lavelle. Like, it was an entertaining card. Um, but when I looked at it, I was like, man, I would rather host kind of like the more slightly unpredictable card in terms of like the outcome of the main event, if that makes sense. And so I felt like it did leave a little to be desired and maybe it was that residual from such a great you know stat card from fury water three but you know it was it was good enough yeah actually before i even asked you that i wasn't even necessarily you know looking at it from like grading the card itself but i thought it was cool from like you fellas said a entertainment standpoint those fights on the undercard were really good rodriguez and um the derail fights that uppercut that Darrell landed, man, he, that thing came Albuquerque, you know what I'm saying? He wound that thing up, didn't he? <laughs> and that dude's head went up like, I was like, oh, man, this guy's hurt. My man was clapping on the ground. I was like, dude, he know he horizontal? Or? <laughs> uh, I thought he was waving it off himself, like, waving it to the ref, like, that's it, man, that's it. Yeah, but it was, it was, you know, like I say, some entertainment there and that Rodriguez fight. So I, I don't have any complaints about the undercard. My biggest complaint is that these fights, especially for guys who are watching on the East Coast, that they just come on so late, you know what I mean? But outside of that, you know, what can you expect when Canelo's making 40 mil, Plant's making his 10 mil? And so, right. you know, it doesn't leave room for a lot of other um, top-level guys to be on that card. But like I say, overall, I would have given it probably like a B, B minus. Uh, how would you grade it? Yeah, I would, I would say, I think a B, B minus is fair. Yeah, I'll give it a B minus uh, off, off what I saw because I, I judge it off the entertainment value, but then also uh, the magnitude of these fights. So B minus is fair. Sounds good. So let's go, to, go ahead and get off into these recaps um, or the recap of the main event, which was Canelo versus Caleb Plant. What did you think about Canelo's performance? Wow. Uh, his performance was, you know, it was the same apex level uh, Canelo that we've seen in these last few fights, he's just at his peak. And and the, the, the good thing about him, the thing I like about him, he's he's been consistent. You know, he's consistently uh, at his peak. And it seems like some of the guys, a lot of guys at 168, none of them are no, no match for him. So we come in here with uh, Caleb Plant. Now, saw Saul Canelo Alvarez, he come to his fight. He is 56, uh, one and two with 39, 38 knockouts. Uh, five foot eight with a, a 70 inch reach. I, this is the first time last night where they actually probably, you know, listed his real height of five foot seven and a half, which I think he's, that's probably what he is. Cause I, I know he, I noticed he was uh, a tad shorter than Floyd Mayweather. And I think Floyd Mayweather is about five, eight or probably somewhat underneath. So 
Uh, he's getting in there with, with Caleb Plant, who was pretty much uh, 21 and, and oh, with 12 knockouts. Uh, he was a tall six foot one with a 74 inch reach. And you can see how wide and, and, and how big, bigger he was than Canelo, even at the weigh-in. So I thought it would be an interesting fight. So looking at how this fight went, I mean, it went similar to, to what I thought it would go, that uh, I thought that Plant will give him a little bit of trouble until Canelo figures him out. Um, I thought Plant would give him a little more trouble, but he didn't. But Canelo, I mean, the fight was one off of, you know, body punching, you know, uh, Canelo stamina and, and the beautiful combos. But I did like how uh, Canelo, you know, uh, he didn't seem awed by the power at first, even though we know he felt the power of Canelo throughout the entire fight. But he didn't seem to be awed or uh, what some opponents in the recent past have done. He didn't um, get too awed in a moment and, and start uh, just breaking down and retreating. Uh, what, what I did like the, one thing that he did do whenever Canelo would throw these beautiful combinations, um, Plant would try to, he would end those combinations, try to follow up just to say, look, you might have won that exchange, but I'm still here. I throw punches too. Even though I, he, I thought his offense, Plant's offense uh, left a lot to be desired because he couldn't really mount an offense enough to make Canelo really respect him. But he was throwing some jabs. Um, and I think that was throwing Canelo off at, at, at points. Um, I thought uh, Plant won the first two rounds. And he, he, he might have been able to give him the, the seventh round when he, he, he was throwing a lot of these jabs. And, and, and it seemed like Canelo was trying to set a trap for him, but Plant wasn't really going for it. He wouldn't really commit to some of his punches, but he just kept working that jab. But uh, Canelo was Canelo. He was throwing them body punches. And you could tell when the fight started to turn into Canelo's favor, you know, right when it happened, in the, you know, in the early to middle rounds. Once Caleb Plant started to stop moving, you know, moving like he and using his movements, and he started dropping his, you know, hands down low, I, I knew that Canelo was going to start going up top and it would eventually spell the end, which it did in the 11th round. He caught um, – he caught Plant, Canelo caught Plant with a, a beautiful left hook and then uh, followed up with the uppercut as, uh, a right uppercut as Plant was leaning down and Plant went down. He got back up and I, I, I wasn't sure if he was going to survive the round or not, but he seemed like he was okay. But as soon as that round, as soon as it started, he just wasn't okay. And Canelo just went to work on him and dropped him again. And, and one thing I did like is that about Plant is he did go out on the shield and he, he even when he got up, he, he, he said he wanted to fight on. So I'm not sure if, if Plant really loses too much status because a lot of people thought, I, from what I was reading online, people just thought Canelo was just going to walk through Plant and Plant wasn't going to be any type of a factor. Uh, but I did, you know, there's some certain things I liked about his performance, even though he didn't win. Because, again, you, you have to put things in context. Canelo Alvarez is the number one pound for pound guy and, and he is the guy and he's been walking through guys this whole time. So, and Plant, uh, he lacked experience. We saw that. And I, and, and I think his biggest disservice was not taking that David Benavidez fight. I think that would have beaten Benavidez would help his confidence and, and, and we will learn more about him uh, than we know now, you know, so but it was a great performance by uh, Canelo Alvarez. He just he's walking through these bigger guys, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. I just want to shout out Canelo, um, not necessarily for the fight, but you know he be wearing some real slick pajamas, you know, and the fight, you know, leading up to the fight. I never seen a fighter in, in so many different sets of pajamas. You know, it's crazy. But anyway. Um, as far as the fight is concerned, um, what I saw is Plant, he was using a lot of movement, you know, from the start. He showed the quick hands and the defensive ability, but as you stated, he was never able to land anything significant that would dissuade, you know, Canelo. And Canelo adjusted, I would say, like the first round or the opener round to the speed of Plant. And um, he just kept coming forward and pounding away to the body, you know? And the good thing as far as what Canelo was doing is, is that he never let Plant get comfortable. Plant was trying to, he was trying to do his little rhythmic thing, 
um, little rhythmic movements that he does, like in a corner, moving forward, coming back. But Canelo would come in and throw some heavy artillery just to shake things up and never let him get like that comfortable, comfortable feeling that he was looking for, where he felt like he was ever in control, you know, of the fight. Even though he won some rounds, like I said, I probably gave him maybe two or three rounds, but he was never in control, you know, throughout the fight. And it was based on Canelo's relentless pressure um, that he was putting on throughout the fight. The only time that I saw Plant kind of like take the lead was in the seventh round, you know, for a spell there. Um, you know, he took the lead for a moment. But for the most part, he was bouncing, not bouncing, but he was boxing, you know, off the back foot, which was taking a lot of his energy. And I know that Canelo probably felt that that was the game plan. It's just the pressure. And then once it hits like the seventh round, then it, it'll be, um, you know, that'll be the end of what, what Caleb Plant is attempting to do, you know, as far as his game plan. Um, and the, the other thing too is that, and I mentioned this before, is that Canelo, he, as well as Terrence Crawford, they land shots from like peculiar angles, like power shots. And so Plant was thinking that Canelo wasn't going to be able to catch him with that left hook based on how he, he his stance. And Canelo kept missing like just slightly, but in that 11th round, he caught him flush. And then even more of a unique looking shot was the uppercut that he hit him with once his head dropped. And so that was another powerful punch. And like you said, that's what dropped Caleb Plant and then ultimately led to um, the stoppage. But, you know, I think, like, Really what, what, what actually happened um, also is that Caleb Plant, he kind of got his jab taken away probably like around the fourth, fifth round, and he couldn't keep the fight in the middle of the ring. And then ultimately, you know, not having the power to make Canelo respect him, you know, again, that's what contributed to Canelo um, getting the victory. Now, before the fight, Al Bernstein, he made some points. He said the keys to victory was going to be Canelo going downstairs early, that he doesn't have any law periods in the fight, and that he doubles up on the left hook. And I think that everything Al Bernstein said that Canelo should do is actually what led to him winning the fight. And the things that Plant, he advised him to do, I think he didn't um, do that throughout the course of the fight. So his keys to victory were to jab, jab, jab. Um, combinations then move. I only saw maybe twice where he landed combinations on Canelo. Um, and then the other thing he said to stay off the ropes, and that's where he ended up um, getting KO'd. But wonderful victory for Canelo. Canelo's at the height of his powers right now. So the one guy that I see at 168 that really has a legitimate shot at defeating him, and that's David Benavidez. But in this fight, he landed 117 um, punches to Plants. 111, 53 of those were body shots. And then he was 41% accuracy rate with his power shots. So you're not going to beat Canelo if he's clipping you at a 41% uh, rate. So um, it's, it's, it's what we expected. You know what I mean? I think we all called this when we, we said that eventually after the middle part of the fight that Canelo would definitely take over and um, at the end of the day probably stop plant, you know, in the mid to late rounds. Last thing that I want to mention, the last few things that I want to mention is that the other thing that I noticed in this fight is that what Canelo was doing, which was a smart strategic move, was that he would let plant kind of start off the round early, like 30 to 45 seconds. Then he would up the ante and apply more pressure. And so plant would get a little bit more tired because he already kind of, you know, exuded a lot of energy. And so that was a very smart tactic on Canelo. And then um, after a while, when I knew Canelo had him, he started rocking. Like when he was coming in, he just looked like he was just really comfortable inside the ring. And, you know, he just increased his pressure on Caleb Plant. And then Canelo's defense. Canelo's defense is very solid nowadays, where even when, because he keeps a high guard, right? And then not much can get in when you're trying to throw punches at him. And then also, it's, for one, it's not enough room for you to really hit him. And then the areas where 
you would think that he's vulnerable. A lot of guys don't want to go down there. It's like, you don't want to go downstairs because he's going to wing that left hook and he's throwing some real mean shots back at you. Um, but, you know, great win for Canelo. Like I said, I expect this to happen, you know, routinely for the next two to three years because he's going to be at the peak of his power. Nobody said this, but I'm thinking that Canelo, um, he became a, a vegan for this fight because last night he was eating nothing but plant. Man, I don't know if there were two different Canelo fights going on or if I was on a parallel universe watching. Uh, maybe I was on like Earth 37 or whatever, but I myself as well as the guys I was watching the fight with, for what it's worth, we gave plant like the first five rounds, maybe off the activity. Like he was getting walked down and Canelo was throwing, but we had gave him those first five rounds. By the end of the round seven, I still had him up five, two. But when I saw that Steve Farhood had it scored basically the reverse of what I had it, I just stopped taking notes because I knew that plant would have had to win by stoppage if he was going to win. And I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I, I thought that I was what I was seeing, not that, you know, I'm not going to invalidate what I saw, but, you know, I also remember in that corner around seven or eight, Reynoso felt it necessary to remind Canelo what he was fighting for. You know, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but, you know, basically was saying like, you know, this is for, this is for all of it. Stick to the game plan stuff like that. Um, you know, that said, you guys did a great job as always. Uh, Plant did fight better than I thought he would, but I could also tell that Canelo was never really bothered. Like even in those rounds that, I said I scored like it was literally off the activity and it wasn't because Canelo was particularly bothered or anything of that nature um it was an exciting fight overall I felt like the outcome was predictable I thought Canelo was gonna be fight more you know pissed um you know with kind of the the animosity that he sort of generated going into the fight uh, which is why I had originally predicted a seven-round stoppage. But, you know, Canelo stuck to his game plan, and he broke plant down over time. Um, kudos to both fighters. Yeah, Canelo is just a generational talent. And honestly, yeah, I think the, the, the Benavidez fight will be interesting, but it's hard to see anyone between 68 and 75 beating this version of him. You guys have any more thoughts on the fight itself? No, only thing I was going to say is this, though, Danny, as far as the first five rounds. So when I initially watched the fight, it was too hard for me to score. So on my notes, I put round one. I had that for plant. And then round two, in my notes, I put down, I don't know. All I know is Canelo hits hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then round three, four, five, I had close. I just couldn't really call it at the time. So I said, I'm going to go back and watch the fight. And then round six, I gave it Canelo. And round nine, I think I gave to Plant. But outside of that, I didn't. I couldn't score the other rounds. I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you were saying, uh, Danny. I, even though I didn't, I don't think I didn't think Plant was winning some of those rounds. But I did think he was staying in the fight, which was very, very important. Mm -hmm. You know, and he and he was he was using his his movements and, and yeah, Canelo was catching him at times. But one thing Canelo was doing or or. Uh, that he needed to do was he was he was throwing shots on you know plant shoulders elbows all that you know mm -hmm. because you know plant was trying to use that shoulder roll and it was working to an effect he, it was hard for canelo to really he would get his one shots in but uh, he really had to work that you know the elbows the shoulders the, the biceps work all that stuff and that's what made you know plant eventually start dropping his hands in the later rounds but Plant's defense was was kind of working at first, but yeah, his offense is what he really needed to get going. But he was in the fight, you know, the first mm -hmm. half. So. Yeah, I was like, you know, I saw Farhood's card at first, and then, you know, of course, the judges had their cards, and, you know, they were all pretty much relatively close to what Farhood was saying, and then just kind of the general consensus when I was looking online at what people thought. It, you know, they kind of had it the reverse of what I had. So I was like, you know, every everybody's eyes watch the fight differently, you know, which is why you have three judges and, you know, um, but it was a good fight to see. And, you know, hats off to both guys. I, I like at the end that there was still that mutual respect. You know what I mean? It's always good to 
ended on that note where every, where both fighters can get up regardless of the result and shake hands and hug it out, dap up the trainer, so on and so forth. But y'all know what it is. Where does Canelo go from here? Where does Plant go from here? All right, as far as um, Canelo, I think the biggest thing, and I heard him mention this in his post-fight interview, is for him to get some rest, all right? He should just take a little bit of time off. He's 31 years old, and he just had four fights in the last 11 months. You know, that's unheard of for a fighter, fighter of his caliber. You know, fighting the likes of Callum Smith, you had the um, Billy Joe Saunders fight, this fight, and then he had the fight against his um, mandatory also um, in February of last year. So get a little bit of time. I think he's, he, he's, he wants to come back in May for that Cinco de Mayo date. Um, but if he's going to come back in May, the fighter that I would select, and that's if he's going to come back against, let's say, a competitive match, you know, he's not dropping off in terms of talent and name recognition. I would go with Charlo. Like that would be the next fight I would take because this goes down the same alley as what his previous opponents just experienced. See, Canelo's a smart guy. Billy Joe Saunders was coming off a long layoff. You had Caleb Plant coming off a long layoff. If he takes the Charlo fight, Charlo will be coming in after 11 months off because he had the Montel fight. Um, and so by the time he would fight in May, that would be around 11 months. So he'd be a little rusty. And then that also he would have an advantage because that would be his first fight at 168. And then also it would be a huge event, especially if they do it somewhere like in Texas, anywhere in Texas, right? You got Houston, Dallas, um, San Antonio, any of them places would draw. I mean, anywhere you put the fight, but I'm just saying there in particular, it would do great um, numbers. It would do outstanding. Um, but if he wants to take someone, somewhat of a lighter touch, then if, what I would do is I would look into somebody like a Jaime Magia. Right, Jaime Magia has the fight against Gabe Rosado. If he's successful there, then that's another fight that he can take. And the name recognition, that'll be a big event, you know, but it'll be less risky. Um, now, they're talking about 175. I don't know, like Canelo looks small to me. Now he hits hard as, as, a, as a brick, but at the same time, I don't know how much of that power you know, I know he beat Kovalev, but some of those guys are even bigger and stronger than, than Kovalev. Like, if he's talking about better Biv, I don't know. It, I would have to see what better Biv looks like against Marcus Brown when they have their fight before I would go into, you know, a match like that um, or any of those guys at 175. A little too risky up there. If the fight is right, then maybe. But, you know, 168 is like, that's, that's the sweet spot where it just seems like he's comfortable, he's powerful, he's strong, fast, stamina, you know, all of those things go in his favor, you know, when he's fighting at 168. Now, like I said, 168 and below, to me, the only guy that looks like that they can defeat Canelo is Benavidez. And I'm not sure. I have to see what he looks like in his next fight. But as far as the offense, having the ability to put something on Canelo as he's coming in, I know Benavidez can do that. He's the offensive monster. But what I also wouldn't mind seeing is, let's say, for instance, Canelo fights a guy like Munguia, right? Those other guys who, be, who are calling him out, I wouldn't mind them fighting each other to see who can fight Canelo. Because, again, my pet peeve is for guys like Canelo and you know, some of the champions who's doing all of the heavy lifting and then all of the other guys have to do is keep fighting, you know, less than stellar opponents and then just say, well, why are you not fighting me? Why are you not fighting me? Well, won't you do something to force the demand for me to fight you? So I wouldn't mind seeing those guys um, have something like maybe a tournament or at least fight one of those guys fight each other, you know, to declare themselves as the winner of the Canelo Alvarez sweepstakes. Now, as far as Plant is concerned, I think that... He should fight someone that not Caleb Truex himself, but someone the caliber of a Caleb Truex in his next fight 
in the next few months just to get some of the cobwebs off off of taking his first loss, getting back in the win column, then jump right back in there and take on someone like Anthony Durrell. And then that would get him back in the mix at 168. Um, and then also for Caleb, he needs to fight more regularly. You know, he can't take these long breaks. I know he was coming off of, of an injury, but even the Caleb Truex fight from the Uskatiki fight, it, it was a little bit of time that um, elapsed before he got in there. Um, yeah, I think if he allows that type of regimen, um, then he'll be just fine in terms of positioning himself to be in contention for another shot at a title because eventually Canelo is going to vacate one of those belts because he's in a position now where he's bigger than the belt. Um, and then he'll be right there with the likes of Saunders, Andrade, you know, Magia, Jacobs, and then they can settle it, you know, as far as who gets one of those belts once Canelo relinquishes uh, one or more. But that's my take. Yeah, he said when he was asked, like you said, Will, he said he didn't know and that he was going to get some rest. He's one of those unique fighters where not only is he at the top, but he's also he can fight somebody at 168 or he can get somebody with enough of a name from 160 to move up to 168 to fight him. Or he can move up to 75 and fight if he wants. Uh, you know, he kind of did what he needed to do at 168. I feel like fighting Benavidez would be a good fight. I don't, I'm not sure if that happens right away, but it will be kind of like a a fan service fight in the sense that, yeah, Benavidez would have earned it, but, you know, I think he beats Benavidez too. But it's just so many different ways you can go with it, you know. But when I think about looking at what Canelo has done over the past few years and sort of wanting to submit a legacy, being one of the more active fighters, let alone elite fighters, but just being active in general, I feel like he is in the – I think he's in a legacy submitting phase of his career. And so I think it's possible. It might not be right away. Like, yeah, I could see him fighting like maybe a Charlo in May, but I think that eventually maybe in September that he may look at some of those champs at 175 and, and uh, considers moving up to, to uh, get one of those belts. He has Bivol there. There's Joe Smith Jr. with the belt. Better Beef has a belt as well. Better Beef is also aging. And so, you know, he has some options there depending on how great he wants to be. But, you know, it, it's hard to really give an answer because there's just so many different directions he can go. As for Plant, you know, Plant is still a championship fighter whose collision course just led him against a generational talent. And when you look, down the top 10 at 168, he's still gonna beat most of those guys. So I do agree in the sense that I think he takes one of those fights against maybe like a David Lemieux, maybe or like a Ryder or something like that, and then he's right back in the mix. And so, you know, I don't think Canelo's whatever Canelo decides to do, I don't think he's gonna hold on to those belts forever. And those belts will be up for grabs, and I think that. Caleb Plant's a very good candidate to, to grab some of those belts. So uh, we'll see. But I think it'll be interesting to see where both fighters go. Yeah, for, for Canelo Alvarez, I mean, he has so many uh, options he can go in. Uh, I think the most obvious choice, and I think what's probably like, most likely to happen, is that in May he's going to probably fight David Benavidez. Uh, I can see their schedules meeting because Benavidez, he has a fight coming up. Uh, this coming weekend uh so given he he you know wins that fight because it's never a given i could see them building towards that fight especially considering he that that uh they would likely show the canelo alvarez uh um replay while they're showing uh they've been to be this fight at 168 actually i don't see too many other guys at 168 uh either they're older um like a uh, Anthony Durrell, who probably would have been better, you know, years ago against a Canelo, uh, or they're on a come up and they're not ready, like a, a Edgar Belinga, who I think uh, they put him in there with a Canelo now. I think that's a, that's just a, a disaster waiting to happen for Berlinga. Um, 
But then you have the other section, which is guys that's coming up from 160 or possibly coming from 160. Uh, you have the uh, Jamal Charlo, uh, which will be a, I think it'll be an entertaining fight. Um, the fight I'm interested in, I'm not interested in actually seeing how it plays out, but I'm more interested in just seeing it just uh, so we can shut the noise. It's against uh, Demetrius Andrade because he's been, you know, I follow him on social media and, and every chance he gets, he's like, call Canelo a chicken. And it's almost like the squeaky wheel. And, and in this case, it's, it's, it's irritating. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I like Andrade as a person, you know, but to see it a lot, as much as I do, it's like, wow, he really going, he'll be going hard, you know? So um, I wouldn't mind seeing that just to, you know, Hey, give him what he give him what he wants. Let him get what he's looking for, you know. <laughs> but then you have uh, the biggest challenge for Canelo, which I see all the guys at 175. Um, and and if he does if he does go the 175 route, I think he'll be a dog for it because you have guys there just just like you said, uh, will a lot bigger than you know Kovalev. You have. Uh, the bitter beef, you know, you have the Dimitri Bivo, you have you have Gilberto Ramirez, which would be a huge Mexican fight, a Mexican fight against two Mexicans. Undefe- well, well, uh, Ramirez is undefeated. Uh, Canelo is at the height of his career. Um, that would be a huge fight, but you know, Ramirez is a, is a big boy. Um, and then you have a lower tier guys at 175. I think. If Canelo wants to go that route, he would test the waters with, and then you have a a, a battle Jack who is, you know, a, a tough veteran, you know, who, who's pretty big, and then you have uh, like a Jean Pascal who uh, I could see if Canelo just wants a victory, just to pick up at one seventy five to test the waters again and see if he can um, compete with those guys. Because truth be told, even in the Kovalev fight, we saw even though Canelo did what he had to do. He had a little bit of trouble with uh, Kovalev's size, and also um, Canelo looked a little bit, you know, like his his body just wasn't built for that weight. So if he ever wanted to, you know, go to 175 again, he would probably test the waters before he jumps in one of those, you know, big boys there because I think that would be his limit. So I think the the, the likely outcome that he's probably going to do is fight David Benavides in May, and and um, even though Benavidez, Benavidez is kind of like an unofficial champ because he did get it, his, his title taken away from him. He, he, he kind of lost it, you know, because of circumstances. Um, but that's the, that's the, the last name 168. I mean, Canelo basically cleaned out the division. Uh, any, any other things you guys want to state on that before we move on? Thank you. Thank you. Give my boy some bad advice. You know what I'm saying? As far as, um, some of the matchups. Like I wouldn't, if I was him, I wouldn't go to 175 unless it's a favorable matchup. If I see somebody like a better BF look vulnerable and I see certain places that I can take advantage of and I know that I can do it consistently. Like Sugar Ray Leonard, when he stayed away and he saw Marvin Hagler against John Abyss Mogabe, he said, you know what? He's ready for the take. So now let me go. If you're going up uh, another weight class and you're facing somebody as powerful as a better bid, you better be, you know, look to see, you know, some chinks in that armor before you take on, you know, such a task. And I don't think it's necessarily favorable for him. He knows the skills that he has. He trains against, you know, bigger guys. He trained against Kovalev and guys like that, you know, previously. So he knew what they brought, what they bring to the table was just more so, you know, send some of those chinks in our armor before you take on, you know, a task like that. And better be if has been showing, the more I look at him, he definitely has some chinks in his armor. And I wouldn't necessarily, I'm not so certain about his chin because I've seen a couple times he got clipped and got dropped that when he gets hit flush, like he looks like he's made of steel. Like when you just look at him and you don't see some of the times that he's been clipped, but somebody touched that chin, but he, the, the interesting thing about him is that when he was fighting one of the most powerful punches that he faced, he was taking the punches pretty well against Bostic. 
you know, in that unification matchup. So that, that would be interesting. But I definitely wouldn't even. What is Andrade bringing to the table? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, why would I face somebody like that? I'm team Andrade. I was team Andrade until uh, look at these names on this resume, man. He got some of these. I don't even call K. He, this, these are his last fights that he had. Jack Call K. Alantes Fox. Walter Kanadoka Y. Arthur Akavov. Um, he fought Selecki. Luke Keeler. Liam Williams, and now he's fighting Jason Quigley. Why am I going to reward somebody who's fighting that caliber of opposition? I, I wouldn't do it, especially when I'm, like I said, I'm going over this heavy lift and I'm fighting all of the top guys, but you sitting down there fighting mediocre opponents, but then you want to try to call me out. No, fight somebody of value and then make it where the fight is being demanded. Not just you talking. You know, I need to hear other people saying that you know, this is worth my while, but not just listen to what you said, especially after the level of opponents that you've been facing. Yeah, okay. Now for the challenge portion of it, as far as Canelo challenging 175 pounders, and it's not my job to advise fighters on what they should and shouldn't do or what's going to be favorable for them. I'm a boxing fan first. I want to see competitive matches. I want to see challenging matches. And if 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 Canelo believes that he can, you know, compete with those guys in 175 and that the guys in 168 and below pose a challenge, I'm not going to speak against that. If he thinks he wants to fight a Gabriel Ramirez or a, a Bitter Beef or those guys, a Bivo, I mean, I'm not an advisor. You know, <laughs> he's not, I, hey, I, I want to see those matchups. The only reason I bring up Andrade, Andr Andrade is because, you know, I, I'm just tired of seeing, seeing him talk about Canelo. It, it, it's just every word that comes out of his mouth is Canelo chicken. Matter of fact, I wouldn't mind to see Andrade, Andrade lose his next next bout just to just so he can stop it with the Canelo talk. <laughs> oh, I got you. I just, like I say, I, it, it, for me, I was just looking at it from a standpoint of you put yourself in a position to be where you are. That is just, I just don't see, you know, it where you would make some decision that isn't smart at this point. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like if it's just all about the competition, then David Benavidez should be next. He's at 168. He appears to be the next top guy at 168. So just based on a competition standpoint, then I, I could see him going in that direction. But just historically, fighters don't always just fight the best guys all of the time because it's certain things that, you know, you need to work on, you know, even though he's probably at the apex of his career, but it's still a little things. And you just, you can't do that. Like I, you've seen Floyd Mayweather when he was fighting like Robert Guerrero here or there. Um, and then he'll fight somebody like Canelo. Then he might take somebody else and then he'll fight. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, you gotta preserve yourself and not just jump in. Let some of them other guys, you know, tangle a little bit. And, um, you know, wear themselves out fighting with those elite level guys as well, not just you, you know. Yeah, I, I personally was saying 175 in terms of him, you know, entertaining that idea because, you know, again, he's he wants to cement a legacy. He wants to be one of the best boxers of all time that would be a way to there to be great. He, he by no means, you know, owes anybody those fights. But if he, want, if he were to submit a legacy, I would imagine that him and his team would look at when it would be opportune. Like, for example, Better B would probably be one of the last champions he would fight because that, by the, that way, by the time he got to him, he'd be about 38. You know what I mean? And you're fighting, you, you know, you're fighting somebody who's definitely over the hill at that point. You know what I mean? But all good points. Yeah, so we, yeah, we can talk about this all day. You know, this is what we do. We, we, we get it in. So we're going to uh, move on. So we have another fight coming in December 5th. Uh, and, and one of the guys here, he said that he made a comment yesterday. I read a comment. That he, he stated that uh, Canelo Alvarez is just him at 168. <laughs> the guy we're talking about we, uh, is Javante Tank Davis. He has a fight with uh, Isaac uh, Pitbull Cruz, who's a replacement for Raleigh Romero, 
who we uh, predicted that fight some time ago, but Romero was taken out of that fight and replaced with uh, Cruz. And this fight is going to happen, I believe it's going to happen at 135. Uh, what do you guys' opinion on this fight and, and what do you see happening in this fight? He said that? For real? Uh, I think I did read that, yes. I ain't go too deep into it, but the quote, the great Sean Carter, you need more people. But um, at any rate, we got the tank against the pit bull. Javante Davis, 25 and 0, 24 knockouts, 27 years old, 5'5 and a half, 60, 67 and a half inch reach. He last fought in June where he knocked Mario Barrios out in the 11th round. And Cruz, the pit bull, he's 22, 1 and 1, 15 knockouts. 23 years old, 5'4", with a 63-inch reach. He last beat Francisco Vargas by unanimous decision in June as well. This is for the WBA World Lightweight Championship. Now, to be clear, this is not to be confused with the WBA Super Championship, which Teofimo Lopez Jr. holds. Um, that said, I will say that I'm more excited about this fight than I was about the Rolly fight. I feel like Cruz is a good, solid, you know, sturdy fighter. I watched his last fight against Vargas, and I would be I'm, – I'm very curious to see what his game plan is coming into this fight. He came in aggressive that last fight, and he fought on the inside a lot. And I don't know. I, he, I think he might be in trouble if he does that because not only can take – take those punches but he can dish them out as well and the problem is Cruz doesn't have the physical size advantages that Tank's last opponent Mario Barrios had so from what I have seen from both fighters um, in their recent fights I think that Cruz's style is going to play into Tank's style and I think it's going to make for a very exciting fight for as long as it lasts and I think it'll be an exciting knockout, but I think that if they're, if you have two, you know, sturdy fighters in fighting, Tank has the power there. Tank has the advantage, and Tank has proven to have a chin as well. And so um, I am definitely thinking that Tank is going to score a mid-round knockout here. Yeah, I'm not sure if I feel this fight is that much better than uh, uh, Rolando Romero's fight. Matter of fact, I would prefer... Uh, Romero and Cruz to get it on because I think uh, even though Cruz has, has done a little bit more I mean the Romero he's still kind of at that I don't think he's at the level to to, to fight at Tank Davis I think it seemed like the the promoters and, and the management were looking for a, just looking for a fight of this this uh, uh, opponent of this stature and not someone you know to, that that's really a challenge for this pay-per-view fight that's coming up you know on December 5th um, but but when I even when I break down their styles, I mean, I think I'll, I'll feel better if the if if there was a certain uh, stylistic thing that would give Tank trouble. But Tank is a you know he's a boxer puncher with one hitter quitter power, you know, and that's you know it takes a certain type of fighter to beat a guy like that. You know, you think uh, guys who had you know talent like that or. Uh, boxer punches with one hitter quitters like a, a Tito Trinidad. He needed a someone like a Bernard Hopkins to 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 do something to him, or a Winky Wright to have that defense, you know, and and, and jab to really uh, give him trouble. Now Cruz is a, is a small, come forward pressure fighter, and it's not bad. It's not harping on Cruz. I think he's an exciting fighter. He you know he has some talent as a a small guy who was pretty much out muscling these and out fighting these bigger guys. Um, but I think he, stylistically, he's at a disadvantage. You know, Cruz is probably the only guy that's shorter than Tank. He has a shorter reach than I do, so that should tell you a lot. He has a 63-inch reach. Um, so so he's, he's, he's a lot smaller than, as far as dimension-wise, he's smaller than Tank. Uh, and a lot of it is going to depend on how good Cruz's chin is. So the, the, Cruz's only hope is that his chin is like granite, just solid, you know, because if he's still there, I think that could, that could give Tank something he hasn't, you know, really experienced too often. That's a guy who can take his punches and keep coming for him. So that'll be, that's the only part of it that'd be interesting. But 
as far as uh, looking at it from the outside in right now, before the fight happens, that's just not, that's not the type of fight that I, I want to see, you know, Tank in. It's just, it's basically a showcase fight to, sh to showcase how much Tank can beat down somebody. And I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a beat down. And it's going to be a, a mid round stoppage. All right, Ben. I, I think this is an upgrade from the Raleigh fight, um, but I think anything, any fight will be an upgrade from the Raleigh fight, uh, to be honest with you. Um, although the buildup for the Raleigh tank fight, that would have been much better, but I think this is an actual, actually a better fight. I saw Isak Cruz fight twice. I saw him fight against uh, Vargas, uh, what you mentioned earlier, Danny, um, as far as his last victory. I think that was on the same fight card as Demario Barrios and Tank Davis about. And I saw his destruction of Diego um, Magdalena a year or two ago, where he just came out and just bulldozed uh, Magdalena. Um, and that was an impressive victory. Now, as far as the attributes of both Tank, you know, he has that power, you know, this devastating power, I would say. Speed, you know, he lands those nice uppercuts, as you saw against um, Santa Cruz. <laughs> you know, it was like a highlight reel knockout. Isak Cruz, on the other hand, is pressure. He only knows one way to fight. That's to attack. And actually, in his last fight, I came to the conclusion that Cruz, he just swings and he just hopes for the best. You know, he's going to swing those punches and, you know, that's it. Even when he knocked the guy down, <laughs> one of the times, he knocked the guy down and he's still just swinging, right? He's just, and the referee just had to push him back. So he's just one of those type of dudes, a little sturdy, five foot four, you know, the little guy that's just going to come with it, you know. But I think what's going to happen, though, is that that's actually going to bring out the best in Tank eventually. Because Tank, sometimes he starts off a little slow. And I think Cruz is going to be, you know, on him from the giddy because that's just what he does. And around the fourth or fifth round, I think that's going to be the time that Tank is going to start landing some of his best shots and be on the lookout for that left uppercut down the middle. And that's effective typically against a shorter fight. That's the same shot that he caught Santa Cruz with because Santa Cruz was leaning over. But it just so happened that Isai Cruz is just going to be right there just based on his height. So look out for that, that left uppercut. Um, or you, you might catch, he might catch Isai Cruz with the right hand, you know, on the side of the on the side of his guard. In this fight, Tank is the more skilled, faster, and more powerful fighter. Cruz, again, will have his moments, but I believe that Tank's moments will outdo Cruz's moments um, because he's more powerful and he's just more dynamic than Cruz. So I think, I agree, I think that it's going to end somewhere in between round six and round 10. Um, and again, it could be another highlight reel for Tank, you know, against Cruz, just based on the fact that in addition to his short stature, and the fact that Tank can land those uppercuts um, with precision, you also have to factor in that Cruz is going to be coming in. So that's just going to double the impact of the shot. And I don't think anybody at 135 can take a punch from Tank flush as well as on the way in. So again, I have it uh, six between 6 and 10, uh, Tank Davis. Anything else you guys have on that fight? Yeah, I wouldn't even be surprised if Katane just decided to go for broken in this in the first two rounds. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Very well cooked. Very well cooked. All right, so we're going to move over to uh, Mr. High Tech, Vasil Lomachenko. He's going to be in action on December 11th against another fighter who lost to uh, Tiafimo Lopez. That's the one thing that these guys have in common, and that's Richard Comey. Uh, what are you, you guys' predictions on the Lomachenko versus Richard Comey bout? Okay, we got uh, Vasily High Tech Lomachenko, you know, uh, 50, 15 and 2 with 11 knockouts, 5 foot 7 with a short 65 and a half inch reach, which is still a longer reach than Isaac Cruz. <laughs> uh, he has wins over uh, Gary Russell Jr., Roman Mar Martinez, Luke Campbell, uh, Jorge Linares, and uh, Ramo Rigondeaux, and he has losses to uh, Orlando uh, Saldo and also the Tiafimo Lopez. Um, he's going against Richard Comey, who is 30 and 3 with 27 knockouts, uh, 5 for 8 with a 61 inch reach. 
Uh, he has wins over Jackson, Marinas, and uh, Raimondo Beltran. Uh, he has losses to uh, Robert Easter Jr., which I think that loss is very, very uh, close, and Dennis uh, Shafikov. Um, I did see the, the East, even in the, the Easter fight is what actually caught my attention to Komei, and uh, even though, you know, uh, that was a back and forth action and, and pretty exciting fight. So um, what I see happening in this fight, I think uh, Komei, um, it depends on how how he get he gains his rhythm, uh, and I think that this fight, what's going to happen in this fight, it, it will be determined in about three rounds. If Loma Chico figures Comey out in three rounds, which is probably likely uh, going to happen, I think it's going to be a long night for Comey, uh, and and Loma Chico is going to do what he always does, you know, uses angles and. Um, uh, use those combinations coming forward. And Comey, one thing I, I, I don't like about Comey, um, even though he's a he's a mixed-up type of guy, which I admire, uh, he he's going to be in here with a, a reach advantage, a huge reach advantage that he probably will not use. You know, he fights a lot on the inside. He gets into these crazy exchanges. And uh, and we saw that against even Tiafimo Lopez, which – I, even then, I think Comey had the longer reach against Lopez, and he, he just went right in there and got, you know, knocked out. Uh, and even then, that's no bearing on this fight because uh, those are different styles. When you look at Lomachico's loss against Lopez and Comey's loss. But at the same time, um, I think Comey's style is just going to play right into Lomachico. And once Lomachico starts, you know, backing him up and using those angles, he's going to frustrate Comey too much. Uh, and I think either he's going to stop Comey uh, mid to late, to about late round. It's going to be a late round stoppage, or Comey's corner is going to pull him out. Yeah, I think that uh, Loma's adopted the philosophy that if Tiafimo won't get in the ring with me, I'm just going to beat up everybody that that's on his resume. And so that's gonna um, that's gonna happen again on December 11th against Richard Comey. Both of these guys, though, are coming off spectacular performances. Uh, Comey is coming off the um, Jackson Martinez KO. And then, as you stated, Loma's coming off the Nakatani win back in June. Now, uh, Loma's the favorite in this fight just based on his boxing IQ, the excellent footwork, overall fundamentals, and technique and understanding of boxing as a whole. Uh, I expect Lomachenko to use that foot speed, footwork, and boxing IQ. And Comey, he's very big and solid, you know, for a lightweight, but I think he's too basic to beat someone like Lomachenko. He's too right-hand dependent. You know, you have to have to be a little bit more strategic, and you have to have a few more weapons in your arsenal to beat somebody like Lomachenko. Now, there is going to be some risk involved in this fight, just based on Comey's size. Um, and then also Comey, in addition to having a powerful right hand, he has a, a, a pretty nice left hook, you know, to match. Now, um, but all in all, I, I see Loma taking Comey to school and possibly stopping him, like you said, Bill. I would say probably between rounds nine and 12, you know, he's gonna wear Comey down and it'll end up being because of an accumulation of punishment. A few other things that I just want to add in there is that sometimes Comey, he puts too much into his right hand and, and he kind of overextends and leans um, his foot, his front foot forward. And I see Lomachenko making him pay for that on a consistent basis. And then Comey, he doesn't have the boxing knowledge. Like, so it's going to be a right hand fighter against a southpaw. And so he doesn't have the IQ to establish that lead foot dominance. And so when Comey shoots a jab, he's gonna, or, or in, in this sense, um, Lomachenko, he's gonna look to slip it and then get on the outside of his lead foot and then shoot counters. Cause that's what he typically does, you know, in these type of fights against guys who are less skilled than, than he is. Um, I think he's gonna get behind Comey's lead shoulder, you know, and land some shots um, on Comey there as well. And then he's going to force Comey to continually make like positional adjustments. And Comey isn't the type of fighter that can do that and still be dangerous. 
And so, you know, Loma, he'll take advantage of those opportunities. I think he's the fighter, the better fighter on the outside because he has the fast feet. And then on the inside, he does a good job of, you know, lot, not allowing fighters to tie him up because he's real slippery in there, you know, and he doesn't allow those things to happen. And then he also has the faster hands. So it's just a lot of areas where Kone is not, you know, gonna have any advantages outside of that power. And he's kind of stiff too. So all in all, I have Loma winning this fight between rounds nine and 12. I don't have much else to add. And the one point I did have, you pretty much said about uh, Loma just being back from injury, he won his belts back. And so, you know, he's doing what he thinks he needs to do to possibly earn a rematch, which is a fight to people who Lopez fought before him and look better winning than Lopez did. And hope that, you know, because people want to see that off the strength of his performances, that he does end up landing that rematch. That said, Kome is a very solid fighter in the lightweight division. It's just that in this instance, his three losses have come when he stepped up in competition. First against Robert Easter Jr., then against Shafikov, then against that brutal second-round knockout loss to Lopez. On top of that, you know, Loma will be here to prove a point. Um, I don't think he's going to stop Kome in the second round like Lopez did, but I do think that he'll win in dominating fashion. I don't know if that's going to look like a unanimous decision or if it's going to look like a mid to late round stoppage. I, I would probably, if I had to really choose like an exact outcome, I would probably say like a ninth or tenth round stoppage. You guys have anything else? You think he's going to get that rematch after this fight with uh, Tiafimo? Nah, I think I think that, you know, boxing going to box him, but I think the most likely scenario is Tiafimo going to try to get that David Haney fight to be like the actual undisputed. And I think Regardless of that outcome, if, if he loses, then I think he's, he's going to stay in a lightweight division, maybe, if his body will let him. But I think he really just wants to be undisputed and then move up to 140. I don't, I don't think he think about Loma no more. Even if the people want it, I don't think he think about Loma, which is unfortunate because I would really love to see that rematch. But, yeah, I think he just off it. Fellas, last but not least, we brought up this, this guy earlier, but on December 17th, Arthur Betterbeeve is coming back for the second time this year. This time he's fighting Marcus Brown. How you guys see that playing out? Uh, so we got old Arthur Betterbeeve, who's undefeated, 16-0, 16 knockouts. So that's 100% KO ratio. He's 36 years old, 5'11 and a half, 6 feet, 73-inch reach uh, versus uh, Marcus Brown, who's 30 years old. Six one and a half, seventy five and a half inch reach, and he sports a record of twenty four one with sixteen KOs. Better Beave is coming off the Adam Dines tenth round TKO uh, win that he had in March of two thousand twenty one, and Brown is coming off of an April victory, a ten round decision against Dennis uh, Grachev, um, which was the first fight that he had since the loss against John Pascal fight was stopped because of a cut, but he was dropped three times by Pascal. That was a brutal, brutal um, loss that he took on that day. And unfortunately for him, Pascal, when they were going to have the rematch, tested positive for all type of performance enhancing trust. So it leads you to think that he possibly has some of that in his system in their first um, match. Arthur Benabiv, like I said, I looked closely at him a little bit more after the Adam Dines fight. And as destructive and powerful as he looks, he just has a few chinks in his armor. And like I said, it could possibly be, you know, a sweet spot on that chin because I saw him get dropped by Jeff Page and Callum Johnson. Um, Page dropped him with the right on a kisser, and then Johnson in the second round with a left hook uh, when he defeated him, I want to say it was 2018. But, and um, recently in his last fight, he just looked so slow against Adam Dine. So that's the reason why I wanted to look back and, and see, you know, how he 
had been looking, you know, prior to that fight because he didn't look like the better beat that I saw um, against Gostov um, back in 2019 when he won that unification matchup. But um, when he's at his best, he has a punishing style, kind of like a Triple G, Kovalev, uh, Marcus Brown. He's the WBC number one mandatory fighter, top ranked, won the purse bid. So this fight will take place on ESPN Plus on December 17th um, next month. Now, in this fight, Brown, he's going to have the height and reach advantage. So it will be important for him to try to use that to outbox Better Beef. Um, because if you stay in front of Better Beef, you know, this fight is definitely not going to go the distance if he decides to use that, that strategy. Now, um, I also expect him to use lateral movement, a jab, and but he must, he, he must, he must, he must gain respect from Better Beef early by either dropping them or landing something hard that's going to make Better Beef a little cautious coming in you know, to tame some of that aggression, uh, to attain some of that aggression. And Brown can do that because he has respectable power with the 16 KOs that he has in his 24 victories. Now, better Beave on the other end, like I say, at his best, he's an underrated boxer. You know, he's a bruiser and physically strong, but he, he works his way in and he has one of the stiffest, strongest jabs in boxing. And, you know, Better Beef is, from my understanding, that he had over 300 wins in the amateurs and with very few losses. I saw a couple of fights that he had, one in particular against Usyk. Usyk just came out of nowhere and started defeating some of the top um, guys at heavyweight, you know, of all weights. But even in the Usyk fight, he was stronger than Usyk. Like, he was more powerful than Usyk, but Usyk just outboxed him, you know, to get the victory and ultimately the gold medal. So he has some, some good boxing skills. He's strong, he's powerful. It's just that age, like as he getting to the point where, you know, some of those skills are starting to erode. But to me in this fight, the likely scenario is that Better Beef is gonna apply um, pressure, you know, behind that stiff jab that I just mentioned. He'll throw right hands. Um, that's something that he typically does against Southpaw. He kind of throws the lead right hands. And uh, he sometimes, commit so much to it that he end up, after he throws it, he ends up in a southpaw stance, but he follows it up with um, a vicious main left hook. You know, and I'm expecting him to do that in his fight. Brown, he's gonna be using his legs and trying to make better be reset, you know, by keeping him at bay with the jab. Um, inside, fighting on the inside in this fight is gonna be a mismatch. So any time that they are on the inside, you'll see better beef is gonna have just way too much for Brown. But outside, um, Brown can hold his own. So if he can keep the fight out there, then you know it's a good chance that he can secure the victory. But also with Brown, sometimes he kind of um, squares up. And when he did that against Pascal, that was the times he ended up getting dropped. It's two things that he, he, he was doing in that fight that ultimately led, led to him losing. And that was, Sometimes he would square up, got caught, got dropped. And then the other times is that he sat there after he would throw a punch, he would just sit there for just too long to admire his work. And so by doing that, Pascal clipped him those other two times and dropped him. So he can't, you know, have those types of lapses against somebody like Better Beef, even at the stage of Better Beef's. Um, you know, even where he is in his career right now. A few other things that I wanted to mention. Marcus Brown reminds me so much of Chad Dawson. It's like he's just like Chad Dawson's little brother or, or twin brother or something like that because they fight very similarly. Um, hopefully he doesn't have to Chad Dawson's chin um, because that won't bode well for him against better beef. But I give Brown more of a chance in this fight because all of the physical attributes that he has and the skills that he has, had he not suffered the John Pascal beatdown. So my prediction in this fight, I think we'll see a good, better view, much better than an Adam Dines fight. And I think that he'll get Brown out of there around the seventh or eighth round. Yep, you said some good points that I'm going to try not to belabor. 
Better B's last performance did, in fact, leave us with some questions. Was it age? Was it the layoff? Was it COVID? Was it a combination of the three? And then on the Marcus Brown side of things, you know, he's six years younger. He had that slight height and reach advantage. He came back from his own long layoff in April to beat Grachev soundly. You already brought it up. It's a good possibility that Pascal was on that stuff, but I was going to go off what, what, what happened. And, you know, as it stands right now, Marcus Brown don't have a great track record against 36-year-olds, you know? And we don't know what happened, but we do know that he cannot afford to do those things against Better Beef that he did against Pascal to get him clipped. And then we also don't know what those, what getting clipped ultimately did to him when he suffered those three knockdowns. We're definitely going to see if Better Beef looks long in the tooth. I, I think that it's going to be a good fight as long as Brown fights smart. And like you said, stays at the distance. But I do think that he's going to get caught in the process. And I, I just hope that, you know, the effects of COVID didn't have any like long-term implications on Better Beef's body. But I do think it was good for him to have that fight. And I think that this fight will kind of prove for that previous performance to be sort of water under the bridge. And yeah, it's hard for me to see Brown getting back up after getting clipped. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, I'm going to go nine rounds, um, but I'm excited to see this fight. I'm excited to see one of the top guys at 175 back. And I think that there is some room for that division to get exciting. Uh, more excited than it's been in recent years. And so, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you you guys basically said it and made some great points. Um, I pretty much uh, see this fight going the way you guys do. Um, I think bitter beef uh, will just be too much for Marcus Brown. But I also think that Brown will give him some trouble when he start in the beginning when he's using that, that, that height and length. And as you said, Will, he does fight a lot like, Chad Dawson um and that fight with Jean Pascal you know the only thing I gained from that in relation to bitter beef is that yes Brown can be caught and dropped I don't really gain that bitter beef you know he doesn't fight like Jean Pascal when I went up one we, we all mentioned you know Pascal you know he was doing he's on that stuff he got caught on that stuff after you know after that and also Jean Pascal fights in a weird erratic uh you know style and pace where even in that fight he looked done he was tired and he throw these erratic shots and, and and these awkward shots and catch uh marcus brown with when marcus was squared up uh these he throw these wild right hands and i think bitter Reba is more measured but in some ways it makes it makes brown able to predict what he's going to do but at the same time it makes bitter be more dangerous because you know uh, he's more of a technician and, and, and he's like an artist when he's, you know, throwing some of those punches. So I, I do think as long as Marcus, Marcus Brown is moving, he'll be all right. But I think Bitter Beavers is going to eventually pressure him and break him down for a late round stoppage. Well, anything else we want to touch on before we wrap things up? Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday to Javante Davis. I just want to throw that out there. Happy birthday to Tank. I ain't hating on you, bro. I just want to see the best. That's all. Uh, hope you enjoy your birthday, though. Yeah, happy birthday to uh, little, little Canelo. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, was a good week of recaps. And, you know, the coronation of Canelo at 168, you know, shout out to him for being the first unified, undisputed champion with all four belts at 168. That's a remarkable accomplishment. I mean, he's just doing you know, attribute after attribute, he's just, you know, knocking them off, checking them off. So congratulations to him. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you next week. Who do we have next week? What's the big fight next week? It, it, it was going to be uh, Benavidez, but now it's kind of a medium fight. You know what I mean? Okay. So, yeah, so we'll catch you after the medium fight of Benavidez versus Davis. Have a great week. Peace. Peace. Peace.